Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome into Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. I am Chad Withrow, your host for the day. Jonathan Hutton out today. Believe it or not, Hutton right now is on stage with Livy Dunn, NIL social media extraordinaire and LSU gymnast. Let me mute my computer there. There we go. Uh, I was not watching Hutton on that. I was watching the show. In fact, that's what you should be doing on our YouTube page. You can find it, Outkick and also across our radio network on one of our fine radio affiliates. Huge show for you today. We've got Dan Dockich of Don't At Me on the Outkick Network coming up uh, in about 20 minutes. We're going to talk about a lot of different issues, including Nancy Armour's piece on Sam Ponder. That's coming up uh, a little bit later in the show. Trey Wallace of Outkick, he is at SEC meetings in Destin, Florida. He'll join us to give us the latest from there. Craig Campbell country music star. He's got an upcoming cornhole event we're going to tell you about right here at 6th and Peabody with Old Smoky Moonshine and Yeehaw Beer. A lot going on today. Unfortunately for the Oakland Athletics, not a lot going on for that organization right now. An absolute embarrassment for Major League Baseball. Got a little bit worse yesterday. Now the A's, surprisingly, won the game, but This happened during that win. They've won two now against the Atlanta Braves, their first series win of the year. But right before the first pitch, a fan stormed the field and ran the bases in reverse. This is the perfect metaphor for the Oakland A's right now as they finish their time in the Bay Area. And he runs the bases all the way around before getting corralled by a security guard in the very end of his sprint. And the security guard doesn't even really care the entire time. Why? Because no one cares about the Oakland A's, including their ownership. This is very sad to see. This is a once powerful Major League Baseball organization. They've won multiple World Series. They were maybe the dominant team of the 1970s, certainly the dominant team of the early 1970s. Had another great run in the 80s and early 90s. Great fan support during those times. But now they're the victim of their own ownership group, of greed and the lack of cooperation between local government in Oakland and the, the team, the Oakland A's. It's a real problem, and the fans have nothing to do with it. Now, the fans are part of this because they're not going to go watch a team in a dilapidated old stadium that no one wants to go to and a team that's currently 12-45 and 45 overall. They're on pace to be one of the worst Major League Baseball teams ever, ever. They just won their first series of the year, winning the first two of a three-game series against the Atlanta Braves. And I'm not here to blame the Oakland A's, their players, manager, coaches, anyone for that. This is an ownership issue. They are one foot out the door, headed to Las Vegas, and it's a sad situation for everyone. This is not a Major League Baseball team. 
This is a minor league roster, probably a double-A roster, quite frankly, that's masquerading around as a Major League Baseball team. It is an organization that would not even send out emails before the season to season ticket holders to renew. Why? They don't care. They've done that two straight years. They're not trying to sell tickets. They're trying to make this look as bad as possible so it makes it easier for the team to move to Las Vegas. There's going to be a vote coming up in June with Major League Baseball ownership to try to get them moved to Las Vegas sooner rather than later. This is a real-life plot to the movie Major League taking place. A's ownership equals Rachel Phelps from the movie Major League trying to move the Cleveland Indians to Florida and tanking the season to do so. Unfortunately for the Oakland Athletics and their fans, it's not going to have the same ending as that movie. This team's not going to go on a run and win the pennant despite their ownership. Instead, they're, they're going to continue to be an embarrassment for all things Major League Baseball, and it's sad to see. Davey Hudson is in studio today with us in lieu of Jonathan Hutton, who will, by the way, join us here in a couple of hours when he's done with his special assignment. Davey, the A's of my childhood were one of those great teams. Jose Canseco, Mark McGuire, Dave Stewart. I can go deeper. Walt Weiss, Mike Gallego. I love watching those A teams. It's sad now to see where this team is in 2023 is just a total laughingstock. Very much so. And, Chad, you kind of mentioned just how you feel for the fans. I, I do as well. I mean, I, I won't say I sit here and say I'm the biggest fan of Major League Baseball, but the movie Moneyball got me interested in that program. And one of the things I'm looking forward to is in two weeks, we're supposed to have the reverse boycott when the A's host the Rays and the fans are supposed to pack that place out. I mean, I know we showed the video just a second ago. You saw how empty that stadium is, and that's just a night-in, night-out thing for them. So as they get set to move, and it's not just – I mean, their ownership is terrible. Michael McHenry mentioned it yesterday. We need a floor in Major League Baseball when it comes to spending. The other thing I will say is this isn't just a A's problem. We have seen this time and time again with Oakland. First, the Warriors moving across the, the bay. We're, we're getting out of, uh, out of there. Saw it again with the Raiders. We'll get into them a little bit later on. And, and now, you see, it's just a matter of time before the A's are headed to Vegas. And it's sad to see a town that used to be so rich and historic when it came to their sports programs be reduced to what we're seeing now. But it's just the way it is. And unfortunately, there's nothing you can do to change it. And it's really the loss of, and well said, it's really the loss of community also because you think of A's, you think of the Bay Area. It's the number two team in the Bay Area, has been since the Giants were around. The Giants preceded the A's in the Bay Area. So it makes sense that they're, they're the team in that area. But I just don't, having teams in Vegas, I understand the profitability of it and tourists going through Vegas and getting tourists to go to games. But I don't think of Vegas as a strong community of people, locals who live there that are going to support teams, and there's going to be a base of locals supporting every team there. It seems to me more of a tourist trap and yet another attraction in Las Vegas for people when they go to the town that now they can catch a Golden Knights game or a future Las Vegas A's game or a Raiders game and, and probably an NBA team at some point as well. So we may have to get Todd Furman on the show at some point to correct me and tell me about the base of sports fans in Vegas and how they're, they're supporting these teams. But I think it more is just another tourist trap. And uh, it's sad. It's sad to see this when it happens. I hate it for fans in Oakland. Someone might say, well, they're, they're to blame for this also. They didn't support the team. That stadium's horrendous. I've got no emotional tie to the Oakland A's because they don't have a ballpark. They've got an old football stadium. 
they play in. It's gone viral with people, their, their seats are falling off. When they're at the games, they're taking pieces of their seats home with them. So, again. Nice little memento. Majorly, yeah, absolutely. It's like taking the turf, you know, when someone goes from natural grass to turf, you can take that with you. But it's sad to see an organization at the height of a sport that's not at the height of their sport and doesn't conduct themselves in a way that is major league. And that's what we're seeing now with the Oakland A's. The Cleveland Browns are trying to conduct themselves in a professional manner. And Deshaun Watson at uh, a golf event, a charity golf event, says he wants to be reunited with DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins now a free agent after being released by the Arizona Cardinals. Had three great seasons with Deshaun Watson in Houston. Will he be a future teammate with the Cleveland Browns? Now, what we know about DeAndre Hopkins and what he said about what he wants with his next stop. He wants consistency and continuity with the front office. He wants someone in charge. He wants adults in the room. He wants leadership. The Browns have had their GM, who is 36 years old since 2020. They've got Kevin Stefanski as their head coach. DeAndre Hopkins also said he wants a great quarterback. He would know one way or the other. Deshaun uh, Deshaun Watson is that great quarterback. He also wants a really good defense. Well, Miles Garrett, they traded for Zadarius Smith. They've got a good defense. They traded for Elijah Moore. Um, You've got Amari Cooper on that roster also at wide receiver. So, Davey, when you look at this, it's no surprise that Deshaun Watson wants every possible weapon he can have within that offense. But what do you think about the possibility of DeAndre Hopkins reuniting with Watson in Cleveland? I mean, you look at both those players, and the peak of their career happened when they were playing with one another. I've been kind of tossing and turning, thinking, you know what, this is actually going to be a bidding war between the Chiefs and the Bills. They're going to find some way to have a a contract-friendly deal for DeAndre because, I mean, you look at it, both those teams are towards the bottom and salary cap available. I... If I'm DeAndre Hopkins, you're 30 years old, you know this is pretty much your last chance. And I don't think signing a huge deal is at the top of his list of requirements right now. It's simply I want to actually go and win, and this is my last opportunity to do it. With that being the case, I don't have enough enough faith in the Browns right now, especially, I mean, Chad, you and I, we both grew up around Tennessee athletics. We know what the Haslam's are about. That's who you're pretty much going for, and plus it's Cleveland. They never win anything. Why would you put tire? Tie yourself to that will. It's crazy, too, because, Davey, when you go down the list, we just say AFC quarterbacks, how crazy we went from last offseason with everything going on with the massage parlors and all that with Deshaun Watson, the ridiculous contract he got from the Browns, knowing he was going to have to wait till the end of the year to play, he was the talk of not just the AFC but the NFL at the quarterback position. And now if I say stud AFC quarterbacks, seventh or eighth down the list before you get to Deshaun Watson, where he was a top five quarterback in the NFL uh, when he had his falling out with the Houston Texans. And you do look at the roster, it's star-studded at the top for the Cleveland Browns. So I look at the roster, and and I'm kind of like you. I think they they could do some big things, but then I also think it's the Cleveland Browns, and they're not going to make it happen. And who knows if Deshaun Watson is still Deshaun Watson after all this stuff has gone down. If they get DeAndre Hopkins, that's going to be a big boost for that team and that offense. But I go into this season thinking the Browns are kind of the forgotten team in the AFC. A year ago, 
That's what everyone wanted to see. In, in week one, when it was Baker Mayfield going up against the team, he felt wronged him in the Cleveland Browns. That was a premier week one matchup. Now going into week one with the Browns, it they feel like an afterthought, and maybe that's exactly where they want to be. Maybe it, that's perfect for this this Browns team. I just I can't put the Browns ahead of, even with DeAndre Hopkins, ahead of the Bengals, ahead of the Ravens. Uh, I get if you're Cleveland, you're in win-now mode. I couldn't even tell you when they have their next first-round pick, but they've got a ways to go, and if they don't make some magic happen now, it's going to be, all right, pretty much getting set for another rebuild. Yeah, which is not the spot they want to be in. Certainly not what the fans in Cleveland want to hear either. So we had Ben Mintz, uh, Mincy from Barstool. We had him on our show yesterday talking about him getting fired from pen gaming after he said a racial slur while reading and repeating rap lyrics on his show uh, with the Barstool Network. Great guest, really friendly guy, seemed to be very positive about everything happening Um, There was a reason for that positivity. We're going to get to that in a second. But first, to set this up, I want you to see and hear exactly what Ben Mintz had to say yesterday when Jonathan Hutton asked him about what could be next for Dave Portnoy, the founder of Barstool. Here's what he had to say. What what do you think is next for Portnoy after the contract's up? He specifically mentioned 20 months. He didn't mention uh, January 2025. He mentioned... Everything's up in 20 months. I thought that was very specific. Look, I when it comes to Dave Portnoy, uh, I know he's probably up to something, but I, I don't even want to begin to guess because uh, I, I literally have no idea. But I do know that I still have a great relationship with him uh, and with Big Cat and with Erica. And I think, you know, it, it's nice that even though it, it sucks that I left Barstool, at least I left on good terms with the whole company and you never know what the future holds. So that was Mincy yesterday on our show when asked about what's next for Dave Portnoy. Well, now we know a little bit about what's next for Dave Portnoy. We also definitively know what's next for Mincy. He teased this a couple times during the interview that today was going to be his 40th birthday. Well, on his 40th birthday, he released this video on social media. What's up, fellas? Sure has been a hell of a month, but we're going to close it on my 40th birthday uh, after a horrible start at the beginning. Great news at the end. I am being rehired by Dave Portnoy as the first employee for Brick Watch, and I cannot be more happy about it. Uh, This month has been so hard on me. Obviously, I made an unforgivable but stupid and honest mistake at the beginning of the month. It cost me so dearly. It cost me my job at Barstool Sports. I had to pay a hell of a price. Uh, the support I got from Dave and Big Cat and Erica Nardini and everyone at Barstool meant the world to me. But, guys, I'm going to admit something. It's been really hard on me. I've kept an upbeat face, but anyone that knows my character knows that me having to look online and see nothing but my name with the racial slur everywhere I go, that's not easy on me because that's not what I'm about and all y'all know it. However, the support I've gotten from my family, my friends, and the stoolies has gotten me through it. The overwhelming love I have gotten has blown my mind. It honestly makes me emotional. And to Dave Portnoy, uh, Dave called me to ask me about this job. And here's what Dave Portnoy said to me. He said, Mitzi, I got an idea. I want to hire you to be the first employee for Brick Watch. He said, you're not the smartest guy I've ever had, that's for sure. But you have a great heart, and you're the man of the people. Dave Portnoy, 
You found me two and a half years ago. You made me who I am with your job at Barstool. And I'm a man that values loyalty. And for you to stick your neck out after what happened and how upset you were after having to fire me, we all saw that on that video, how upset you were. And for you to basically just create a new position for me, uh, it just, it honestly mean, means the world to me. And um, getting a little emotional thinking about it because it's been such a crazy month. But it's nice to know we, we live in a crazy world in crazy times, but there's still some grace in this world. And I think of only one way I could finish this thing, just when I thought I was out, Dave Portnoy pulls me back in. Rick Watchman. Really cool of Dave Portnoy to welcome him back, give him a job, went to bat for him with Penn Gaming, didn't win that war. They fired him at Barstool. And to give him another opportunity and to hire him, I think is a really cool show of loyalty from Dave Portnoy. I got to be completely honest. I have no idea what the hell he's doing with brick watches. Uh, that's not explained in the video. Um, I laughed when he said in the video, thanking Dave Portnoy, that Portnoy explained, I, you're certainly not the smartest person we've ever employed or hired, but he wanted him back because he's a man of the people. So best of luck to Mincy. He was a fun guest on the show. Uh, seems like a great dude. Very positive outlook on all this, but mentioned there, it's been harder than he's let on. And I have no other information to give you on what exactly he's doing for Brick Watches other than possibly doing some social media posts on their behalf. But either way, he is a full-time employee again, once again, of Dave Portnoy, this time not just with Barstool. Just like I don't know what the hell's going on with Mincy and what he's doing for Brick Watches, I have no idea what the hell the San Francisco Chronicle means when they have a headline that says, experts don't know if trans athletes have advantages. Um... I'm not great with words at times, but I think the word they use is a paucity of information that they have on the matter. So they don't really know the difference between trans athletes and let's, let's say what it is, biologically female athletes versus biologically male athletes going head to head. They don't know that if it's fair or not, and if there's a fairness problem with all of this. Um, let me go ahead and give the scientists, scientists, that the San Francisco Chronicle, that they discussed in this story, a little bit of advice on how to conduct some research. Go through the history of sports and look how men and women do in events. Go to Leah Thomas and look how Leah Thomas was as a men's swimmer for Penn in the Ivy League versus how Leah Thomas performed as a women's swimmer. Just look at that and then tell me if there's a, a lack of evidence to support that men are physically different from women and should not be competing against them in sports. Davey, when will the insanity end with all of this? The insanity will never end. I, I guess I'm trying to think of what could potentially be the reasoning behind this. Are they trying to say that, I mean, it's a little bit more aerodynamic with the bulge. I, I wouldn't go that far when talking about Leah Thomas. Maybe that's the case. I mean, uh, with the new swimsuits I know they're talking about that has more crotch room, that might cut down on a few milliseconds. That could be what we're getting at here. It's simple, Every though. millisecond counts. It, it's Every millisecond true. counts. We very do know true. that. I mean, it, in all honesty, though, I mean, it was a dead tie for Riley and Lee at the NCAA championships. And so you look at it, it's sad. The, the only thing I could potentially think of that they're going with is before, like, hormone replacement therapies. I mean, as far as, like, people actually hitting puberty, that's maybe the only spot they could talk about that the science is still a little iffy on. But 
I mean, we, we know what is actually happening here. And it's just dumb that we keep coming back to this argument. The, the, the one thing I did want to say is... But like, even before, like, they, they do cite, you know, with children, you can't tell the difference, pre-puberty. But there's also a reason that we separate girls and boys sports starting like after kindergarten. Yeah. You know, first, second, third grade, you, you separate the two and they play against each other. It doesn't go all the way up to puberty that you start separating. I just... I don't understand where this lack of information is that they're citing in this story. I mean, why even separate by age at a certain point? Like, it, it just, we've been here before. The, the one thing I did want to say is, I wonder if we eventually get to the, a certain point. You know how like, generations look back and they're thinking, ah, man, I, I shouldn't have wore like, the skinny jeans or I shouldn't have wore the bell-bottom jeans. Stonewashed jeans. Yeah, you think Gen Z just gets to the point, it's like, ah, oh, man, I shouldn't have cut off my penis. Like, <laughs> I guess, I don't know, we'll see. Possibly. Time will tell. Possibly. It's like the old Conan O'Brien sketch of uh, in the year 2000 about things that would happen. If we would have said in the year 2023, the, this would be, these would be the issues facing sports in America, would you believe it? I'm, I'm guessing the answer would be no. Would you believe that Dan Dockich is going to join us next? The answer to that is yes. I'm sure I'll ask about this story and others facing uh, whatever this crisis point is in sports in America right now. We'll get into all the issues with the host of Don't At Me on the Outkick Network. Dan Dockich joins us next. This is Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow across the Outkick Network. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We're back live downtown Nashville, 6th and Peabody Studios with Old Smoky Moonshine and Yeehaw Beer. I'm Chad Withrow, your host. Jonathan Hunt will be back about an hour and a half from now. He's on special assignment. Davey Hudson helping out today, producer extraordinaire, and our cast of 1,000 here at our downtown Nashville studios doing terrific work as always. Someone else who's always doing terrific work is Dan Dockich. He is the host of Don't At Me on the Outkick Network. And he joins us weekly on this program, and Dan is on with us right now. Dan, what in the heck is going on with this San Francisco Chronicle story that I just got done discussing about there's not enough evidence to support that trans athletes are actually at an unfair advantage when they cross over from men's sports to women's sports? Can you think of a single example of someone who was a biological male who played male sports who then shifted over to women's or girls' sports and performed worse than they were in the men's boys' division. If they can cite those examples, maybe this article has some merit. I'm not seeing it. Well, of course you're not seeing it because it's not there. And, you know, San Francisco, what are you going to do? I mean, San Francisco can't 
go, the San Francisco Chronicle can't go any other way. And we all know that newspapers now just simply pander. I don't think in San Francisco, the city, which is, you know, the hub of the gay community and all the initials and letters and all that stuff, not like they can come out and say, hey, look, this is a fraud, this is a farce. Uh, they would, or they could, if they were honest, but we all know they're not. There is a 10 to 15% minimum difference, according to a study by Duke University, and it was done among elite athletes. But no, other than me going from baseball to try to hit Lee's, my wife's great pitcher, Jenna Kyra, uh, no adult male has ever gone from a men's sport to a women's sport and failed, I don't think. You know, it's, uh, Bobby Riggs back in the day. Yeah. Well, he was a little bit old. 80 <laughs> years old. Yeah. Yeah. The situation with the Los Angeles Dodgers, Dan, and, and I, kudos to Trevor Williams for stating his side of things as a Catholic, as a Christian, but doing so in a, in a very smart way, I thought, with his statement and how he did it. Same goes for Clayton Kershaw that says, yeah, absolutely, I had a problem with it. So they sped up the announcement of Christian Faith Night coming back to Dodger Stadium because I was upset with it, and, and we got that part of it done. What do you think about the reaction to the reaction? Because I do think it's been a little bit more muted in terms of criticism for guys like Trevor Williams and Clayton Kershaw. It's been a little bit more quiet, I think, because of the points they're hitting and how well they've, they've constructed their arguments. What do you think about all of this? Well, I agree with you. I think I don't know that I'm ready to say the tide is turning, but you know I'm a Catholic. I I, I thought uh, that what happened in the Boston Globe exposed it with the priests years and years over years and years and years uh, was absolutely horrible. I understand criticizing. I understand not just following blindly, but what I don't understand is saying, okay, look, here's the deal. Uh, we are going to celebrate a group that openly mocks your faith, that, that denigrates your faith. You wouldn't do that to Muslims. You wouldn't do that to Jewish folks. You wouldn't do that to any other religion. But for some reason, uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers feel comfortable doing it to Christians slash Catholics. And to be honest with you, I don't get offended much. I was talking to Clay this morning, and I don't, you know, you change the uh, A in my name and go from Doc Itch to Dick, you get it. Or you change the D to a J, and I've been called names my whole life. I don't get offended much, but this really blanks me off. I hope more and more uh, Catholic or Christian baseball players stand up. I hope more and more uh, basketball, baseball, football, Christians stand up because this is an assault. This group is not a serious group of people. This group is evil. This group is awful. This group is designed to hate. And for the Los Angeles Dodgers to be so chicken blank to say, no, we don't engage in it. And then somehow, some way gave in the pressure. Let me ask you a question. What would the pressure be? Who gives a rats if the, the, the nuns of whatever the hell I had it here, I, I lost what the name of the thing was, but who gives a rats if the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence and their followers boycott you? Who cares uh, if the LGTQB whatever uh, community gets mad? You just simply say this is a hate group and we're not doing it. We're the damn Los Angeles Dodgers. I wish baseball teams, and I don't know when this all changed, why do I give a rat's about celebrating someone's sex life, about celebrating anything other when I go to a game than watching the game? You want to give away bats, helmets, you want to give away bobbleheads, great, ball, wonderful. 
But when did it have to get, be a political statement? Where, 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 I've always said, I don't care who has sex with who. You do whatever you think you want to do. But why does everything have to be thrown in our face? I just want to take myself, my kid, my buddy, whatever, and go to ball game. That's it. I don't need a parade of drag queens, or I don't need a parade of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. Uh, I don't need it all. I don't need any of it. I, I don't need a Catholic group being celebrated. I don't need a Christian. I don't need any of it. I want to go to a ball game. I want to sit in the bleachers. I'm going to have a couple of beers and some peanuts. Why the hell does sex have to be thrown in everything? People can say it's not. It's a way of life. It's a way of celebrating a way of life. Great. There's plenty of ways to do it. How about we just go to a ball game and enjoy the damn ball game? And Dan, I'm totally with you. And when organizations in all sports decided they were going to be more than what they are, an escape and a game and a product for people, and they're going to be part of a movement, that's when we had this. I have long said if I own a team, I stand for nothing other than the team. I'm here to entertain you. I want to put the best product on the field or court possible. We want to be uh, uh, available for everyone who wants to come buy a ticket or watch the game on TV. But we celebrate one thing, and that's this team. We are here for the team and right. the sport, and I stand for nothing. We're not doing awareness month of anything. It is all about this nothing. team. And that may sound selfish to some, but this is what sports fans want. They crave an escape. They don't crave whatever this is going on with the Dodgers. I'm completely with you on that. If we're going to celebrate something, I'm a Cubs are on right now, and I, uh, I'm, you know, other than my kids' teams uh, and, you know, my wife's team, whatever, the only team I really, really, truly follow anymore is the Cubs. And if I were the owner of the Cubs, I would do exactly what you said. If we're going to honor somebody, it's going to be Don Kessinger, Fergie Jenkins, Billy Williams, Ron Santo. It's going to be our stars of the past. I don't give a rat's about who's sleeping with who. I don't give a rat's about what your initials are or what you uh, view yourself as. This is a baseball game. This is a fun time. I don't give a damn about any of it other than this team, its history, and its future, and that's it. So, Dan, Scottie Pippen is at it again. He called Jordan an awful player. I think some of the merits of what he may have been talking about may have been somewhat true about him being a scorer, but not really a team guy before he got there and had the, the proper sidekick in Scottie Pippen to go win championships. Um, but what do you make of this ongoing feud? Now, it really seems to be one-sided. Maybe Michael Jordan got his shots in on the, the Last Dance documentary with Scottie Pippen, but Pippen's just nonstop obsession, hatred of all things Michael Jordan. Well, I, I think a couple things. Now, I'm a cynical, I'm a cynic, Chad. I, you know, Michael Jordan's son is dating slash oh, stooping yeah. Scottie Pippen's ex-wife. I mean, that got to stick in you a little bit. Oh, yeah. Uh, I do think that the la yeah, I think the last dance hurt Scottie Pippen. I think he didn't get enough credit. I don't think he saw himself. I think he always saw himself, if not an equal, then certainly uh, above all the others of his time. Meaning, don't tell me about Isaiah. Don't even tell me, you know, maybe Bird and Magic. But don't tell me about Malone or Stockton. I'm next level. Maybe just under Jordan. I think that got shot down a little bit. And look, here's the deal. Scottie Pippen and I are about the same age. When you turn about 59, 60, 
you seriously don't give a crap, and you can go one of two ways. You can go the way of being a kind elderly gentleman, or you can be a combative, bald-headed fool. Well, Scotty's got good hair, but he's still a a combative, bald-headed fool in this regard. It is dumb. It is childish. It is entertaining. To your point about Jordan, you know, obviously he's my era. I followed him greatly. He came to a rotten team, and I don't mean a bad team. I mean a rotten team. They had San Quentin Daly there. They had Orlando Woolridge there. They had a bunch of guys that were miserable human beings. And as Jordan said on the last stand, there's a lot of drugs. So he comes to a franchise. And before Scottie Pippen got there, I mean, you say whatever you want, but Michael Jordan elevated that franchise to the point where one of the great games in the history of the NBA is his 61 points in the Garden as a rookie, averaged 37 points, and I think it was 87. So the dude, if you're ever going to say Michael Jordan was a horrible player, then you've just run out of words. You know what I mean? You just don't have the right words. You could say, look, he's a tough guy to play with. Look, he was on a trajectory where unless he got a guy like me, he was not going to win championships. He got a guy like me, and now he won championships. But but you, you know this, Chad. You, the headline, what's the headline? Horrible player. Uh, awful player. I'm yeah. with you. Yeah, awful, awful player, player. Awful, awful player you, to be around, all of those things. Yeah, and if you if you listen to what he said, you're right. There may be – that was the thought. Uh, but, you know, let's be honest. There are very few people in this world that are above reproach uh, for whatever the reason, and it's because of what a competitor and all that happy horse belief. Michael Jordan is above reproach, so you're kind of uh, – as Jim Croce said, and I'll clean it up, he's kind of urinating into the wind here. Doesn't need to be doing that. <laughs> you know, Dan, it's, it's amazing that perseverance doesn't go out of style in sports. And we saw it on both sides of that Celtics heat series. Celtics look so bad and battle back down 0-3 to win three games, win at the buzzer. And then the heat to come back after that a heartbreaking loss at home at the buzzer to dominate game seven. How great was that to watch two teams get off the mat at different times throughout that series? And here you have the Miami Heat, the second eight seed ever NBA history to make it to an NBA Finals. Yeah, I thought I thought it was great. You know, uh, I've, I've told you this before. Duncan Robinson and my son are best of friends, yep. college roommates. And we were talking to Duncan. Uh, Andrew and I were playing golf, and we were talking to Duncan. You know, he missed a couple of those threes, and the next day – you know, the thing that really struck me just from FaceTiming him as we're talking smack on the golf course was he was unwavered by it. He's like, hey, what the hell? I made a ton in my, my career. I'll make a ton more in the garden. And I, and, I, and I remember telling Andrew, my son, on the green, I go, man, I got a feeling the Heat are going to win this one. And I don't know why. I could just tell that what Duncan was saying wasn't just about Duncan. It was about the Heat, which is really cool if you think about it. I mean, it's very, very cool that – you know, you just get a disappointing loss. Now you got to go to the garden. You know it's going to be a crazy crowd against a really good team. I'll tell you this. The Celtics are the dumbest team I've seen in basketball, and I'm going to tell you why. Uh, you play against the zone. It's a spread out. It's kind of a 2-3 zone. There are NBA rules. There's defensive three seconds. And honest to God, Joe Missoula, I would, if I were Brad Stevens, I would fire him for this. Uh, he put Al Horford in the middle of that zone. And the guy in the middle of the zone has to do the first thing is this. He's got to be able to make a 15-foot jump shot. Second thing he's got to be able to do is look down. Third thing he's got to do is look opposite. And Al Horford never looked to make a jump shot. And I kept watching uh, Duncan Robinson on the back left of the zone. Usually the ball in the middle shrinks the zone. The zone did not shrink. 
because El Horford was no threat. So after about, I don't know, four, five, seven possessions, you got to try somebody else in there. A lot of coaches will put their point guard, uh, whoever you think that is, Jalen Brown maybe, maybe because he doesn't want to dribble. So maybe it's Marcus Smart. But it was the worst coaching that I have seen in the NBA by Joe Mazzula against that zone. And that's why you watch OutKick, because you're not getting that anywhere else, because Reggie Miller and Van Gundy both completely missed it. They had no idea. They just kept saying this zone is effective. Well, as an announcer, you're supposed to say, why is the zone effective? And that was the reason. So we shall see what we shall see. My Serbian brother, Djokovic, I'm very excited for him. We'll see what happens. Dan Dockich, basketball savant. You're only getting that level of insight right here uh, on the OutKick Network, no doubt about it. You're not getting a lot of insight from Nancy Armour of USA Today, Dan, with that column on, on Samantha Ponder. And I know you responded to my tweet about this. I'm so sick and tired. If you, if you see someone who has an argument and you want to write a column saying, this is why that argument is bad and this is where they're wrong, I'm, I'm fine with that. What I'm tired of are the Nancy Armours of the world who are trying to pinpoint, here's the argument, I can't really debate that argument, but it's the mask of the argument that Sam Ponder is some bigot. And that's what I have a problem with. Let me tell you the true intentions of what Sam Ponder is saying. I hate it, and it's a crutch of those that don't have a good debate or argument to make against someone, and I think that's what we're seeing with this USA Today column with Sam Ponder. What was your reaction when you read it, Dan? Well, my, my reaction, and your, your text or your tweet was really good. Uh, it was it, what you said just now is exactly what you said in a tweet. I worked with Sam Ponder for a number of years, and I got to tell you, she is the nicest, funnest, smartest, most entertaining, and most empathetic person that I know. I mean, she goes overseas with her father in all these countries and does all these different things. And you're right, Nancy Moore is a sad, ridiculous, nobody's ever heard of her, but she's got a pen and paper and works as a far-left columnist. So the word bigot or racist or phobic or transphobic or whatever gets thrown around easy. It was disgusting. It was horrible. Even worse uh, was Sarah Spain uh, going out of her way to retweet the article, who works with uh, Sam Ponder at ESPN, going out of her way to like tweets that were critical of Sam Ponder. And what made it even worse for me is the cowards at ESPN, including Kirk Herbstreet and others, that sat there during social justice time, cried like babies because, well, it's the thing that you needed to do to maintain your career as a white guy at that time. I haven't heard one word out of those guys. I haven't heard one word out of Fat Rex Ryan. I haven't heard one word out of any of the people that she is on the set with. Where's Randy Moss in this? I haven't heard one word from those cowards. They're all cowards at ESPN. The women of ESPN are god-awful. I remember when our boss, a lady named Stephanie Drooley, got mad at me because I wouldn't go at it, quote, in a pool with a woman that wasn't my wife. And she told me, well, you know, the women of ESPN are really upset. And I said, really? I go, well, one of your women of ESPN, college basketball married writer with two children, she's stooping a friend of mine who's also married with two children. So I'm really not interested in what the women of ESPN have to say. And that kind of shut her up because the women of ESPN are awful. They're narcissistic. They have not at all 
helped Sage Steele. They have not at all come out for Sam Ponder. The worst is Nicole Briscoe, how she has a job. She's either racist or she is incredibly jealous. It's sickening. It's disgusting. But I got to tell you, working there as I did, it is not surprising, particularly in this world, because they are all scared that this week and next there's going to be cuts and they don't want to rock the boat. How about that? For some fire today. Dan, you brought it today. By the way, the women of ESPN sounds like one hell of a 30 for 30 if they ever had their next project. I would certainly uh, it, watch it based on yeah. that description. Sounds great. Dan, yeah, you're always I gotta, great, man. I got to tell you. You got more for us? Thanks, fellas. Yeah, no. No, it just blanked me off because <laughs> I'm sitting there and I know these people. They'd backstab each other to get a sideline. Uh, they'd backstab each other to work with Tariko and I on Tuesday nights. Uh, and, 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 well, the women of ESPN, yeah, my ass. Well, the 30 for 30 is going to be highly entertaining based on that description, Dan. <laughs> we is. appreciate you, man. 9 to 11 Eastern time every weekday, Outkick Network. That's where you can find Dan on Don't At Me with Dan Dockich. Dan, appreciate you, brother. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Chad Davey. See you guys. Dan brings it all the time. We are going to bring it when we come back. Perfect segue into a weekly feature here on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. Primary complaint. That's next. You're watching the Outkick Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is primary complaint time on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. I am Chad Withrow. Jonathan Hutton will be back momentarily. He is on special assignment today with Livy Dunn. That's all we can say about it. I can't say any more. Someone would probably kill me if I told you any more, but that's what we know right now about Jonathan Hutton. Davey Hudson alongside with us and a cast of characters in our 6th and Peabody studio, downtown Nashville with Old Smoky Moonshine and Yeehaw Beer. Every week at this time, we complain with primary complaint. It's time to hit it. It's time to air our top grievance of the week. You can complain all you want. My job is so unfulfilling. Don't run away from your feelings. It's time for Hot Mike's primary complaint. This will probably come as no surprise to our audience that whether you're watching on the YouTube page, which we appreciate you, or whether you're listening on one of our fine radio stations on our radio network, which also we appreciate you, it will come as no surprise when I tell you that I'm not a big ink guy, not a big tat guy, don't have a tattoo. I do have a brand on my body, but that's for another day. My primary complaint this week is for what I see all too frequently here at 6th and Peabody, when I walk around the bar area, when I walk around the venue. Now, this is a place smack dab in the middle of downtown Nashville. This is not just Nashvillians. People come to Nashville from all over the country. Heck, all over the world, people come here. And what I see the most, majority of the time on women, but also on some men, 
are this is this new fad of triangle tattoos. You're going to see one right now if you're watching. That's one example. You'll see them oftentimes between the thumb and the index finger on a woman, maybe on the inside of the wrist. You'll see a small triangle. I've seen them on, uh, on scapulas, on someone's back, on their shoulder, bigger triangles. Every time I see one, I feel like I'm in a National Treasure movie, but I don't know the plot and I don't know what treasure we're searching for. There's some it's mysterious the thing. Of Independence. Oh, the de- thank you. The Declaration of Independence, as Davey said. Well, I don't know how to find the Declaration of Independence because I've yet to crack the code on what the triangle tattoo means. Now, I did a little Google search and I found out that it means connection and life and la 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 la, just a bunch of nonsense. It could also mean the Holy Trinity, but. I'll be completely upfront, and a yes, I am judging a book by its cover. I don't think most of the triangle tattoos that I've seen are in relation to the Holy Trinity with people that have this triangle tattoo. If I have to decipher what it is, it's not a great tattoo. It doesn't need to be a national treasure movie. There's a great line in the Robert De Niro version of Cape Fear where he takes off his shirt in jail, and someone looks at him and says, I don't know whether to look at him or read him because of all the tattoos. But at least we could read those signals that were being put out. No idea what the triangle tattoo means. It looks stupid, and it is my primary complaint this week. Is it worse than A.J. McCarron's tattoo? I would say no. A.J. McCarron's is also bad. That's a primary complaint for another day. Davey, what do you got? Uh, Well, real quick, Chad, I would say be careful about judging a book by its cover because my favorite book, it turns out, actually had a bottle of whiskey hidden inside it. So it's just... (laughs) You never know what message, you're going to get. Message just to kind of keep yeah. in the back of the mind moving forward. Uh, but no, I, I'm with you, man. I'm not a big tattoo guy either. I, I have zero. Uh, it's been used before, but like, why would you put a bumper sticker on a Rolls Royce? It just doesn't make sense. Uh, but my primary complaint is this time of year, I see kids getting out of school, and it just makes me go back to the idea of why don't I get summers off as well? It's just, I mean, we could just shut down for a couple of months. I think it would be pretty fun. Uh, it's just some good times back in the day. If you remember, you know, that last week of school, you're just gearing up for the summer, you know, hanging out at the pool with your friends all throughout June and July. And I, I mean, it's simpler times. I get it. I didn't have to pay taxes back then. I mean, like for, for me, you know, I'm just kind of hanging out and it's like, I'm sure my parents are stressed since the economy's in a recession, but I'm just back there playing my PlayStation or whatever, just having a good old time. Simpler days. I wish we could get back to that. Let's just take a couple months off. That is my primary complaint. To be a child again and how glorious it would be. Lane Kiffin, by the way, he's got a primary complaint, and it's about Jimbo Fisher continuing to put out some BS lines. We'll get into that when we come back. This is Hot Mike with Hutton and Whitmer Kick Network. 